You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, man, it's so good to be here. Make some noise has been an awesome, awesome series, and you guys have got the hang of that. Man, it's been a a great journey, I think, for the last five weeks. Today's week six, and excited about our Christmas offering that we're going to collect at the end of the service. And uh, man, just excited about Christmas in general. How many of you guys are like Christmas holiday junkies? You love every second of it. All over the room, yeah. We went shopping yesterday at the mall in Knoxville, and it was packed, and it was awesome. And, and uh, we, 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 we bought our kids all their Christmas presents, so we checked off the list, and it feels so good for me uh, to check things off the list, right? And so, um, man, I'm excited to be here. And, and if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 10. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, a passage of scripture that I've taught before that I love to teach through the, the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. And, and as you guys are kind of turning there, just reminding you also that uh, next Sunday is our Christmas series. And so next Sunday is going to be all about the Christmas story. And it is the perfect opportunity for you to invite family and friends and co-workers to come to church. Because there are two Sundays that are kind of givens for people who usually don't attend church to come to church. And they are Easter and Christmas. Yeah, the, the, the Sunday before Christmas is usually uh, that time. And so uh, it's kind of like easy for you. This is like the, the easiest time to invite people to church this week. So we've got cards in the lobby. We've got invite cards in the cafe. Take as many as you would like. Hand them out. Uh, send them on Facebook and uh, message people. And just um, let's, let's get a bunch of people here because we're going to teach the gospel. And at the end, we're going to have a baptism service. And so uh, if you want to be baptized, you can sign up for that and get plugged in for next Sunday. But you never know what God is going to do uh, when we have a baptism service and how many people are going to receive Christ. And so I expect God to do some incredible, awesome things. And as Pastor Brant mentioned, uh, Thursday and Friday, I'm sorry, Friday and Saturday this week is our day of prayer. If you've never done this before, it is so powerful. Um, it's gonna, the weather's not going to be too bad, but we're going to have tents. We're going to have heaters and everything there to keep us you know, uh, out of the elements. But um, it's just going to be a powerful uh, hour for you. And it'll go by quickly. Uh, some of you are like, an hour of praying? Man, that's like, I don't know what to say. You know, what am I going to do? And I'll fall asleep. No, you won't. We've got a guide. You'll move through it. It'll be awesome. You can go online at foothillschurch.com slash pray, and uh, you can sign up for a time slot there. And it's going to truly be awesome. Some of you are going to be warriors, and you're going to come in the middle of the night right? You're not just going to take the easy times, right? Okay, hope so. So, um, and then finally, Christmas Eve services coming up, uh, obviously on Christmas Eve. Make plans to attend one of our services uh, that week as well. Um, I'm excited about today, obviously, because our offering is, is taking place. I'm excited every time we close out a series, and, and um, I'm just excited about this particular topic because we've been talking about our our mission. We've been talking about ways in which that we make a difference, ways in which we make noise in our community. And and we've really given you some really practical ways to get involved and and practical things that that we can do to make a difference in our community. And so uh, today is no different. Um, How many of you guys remember the first cell phone you ever bought? Remember how many you know years ago that was the first time you got it and you opened it out of the box and it was like awesome and I remember in the early 90s, uh, my dad's a pastor, and um, one, one day this, this lady was trying to get a hold of my dad, and she couldn't get a hold of him. And so the next day she went out, and she bought him a car phone. Not like 
a cell phone because they didn't exist back then. She like a real deal, big honking Zach Morris Saved by the Bell car phone. And it came in like this big leather case and we had to put this huge antenna on the car and everything. But I just remember like when we got the car phone, like nobody had those. And I was like, oh my, this is incredible. We have a car phone. And dad was like, never use it. <laughs> I was like, come on, dad. And so I would drive, you know, the car and I would pull up, you know, at a traffic light and like there'd be a you know, good looking girl next to me and I like pull up the phone and pretend like I'm on a conversation. Like, yeah, what's up? That's not working. No, no, no never worked. But, but I felt good about it. But yeah, I mean, this technology has changed so drastically since then, right? I mean, we have so many uh, uh, later, latest and greatest like technology and information now. There's so much our phones can do. And, and so in so many ways, technology has helped our our culture, it has transformed our culture, all this information and all this technology. So great, great things. I don't want to bore you with all the great things that it's done for us, but it's also done some, some, some not so good things, right? Some, there's some disadvantages to all of this, you know, technology and all of this information. I'm not going to bore you with all of them except for one. Um, one thing that I feel like this, this technology has done is it's created millions of experts, Right? Millions and millions of people have become experts because of all of this technology. Here, here's what I mean. So like a guy who has never played a single college game of football, who has never been to a practice, who hasn't worked out since high school, feels like an expert and can tell Butch Jones like what he should have done against Oklahoma and how they could have won against Florida and, and what plays they should have called and, and how they should have done, what the offensive line should be doing and, and why they're not doing it and why Josh Dobbs should have been doing this instead of that. And, and, and you know, hasn't played football since high school and yet he feels like he could run the program better than Butch, right? It's created millions of experts. And because of all of this information and because there are so many experts, we have so many opinions today. I mean, everybody feels entitled to share their opinion, don't they? Even young people, they feel entitled to, to create a following and share their opinion, you know? It's like when I first got married, you know, I'm, I'm an opinionated guy. When I first got married, my wife, you know, really taught me something. You know, she said, Trent, just because you have an opinion... It doesn't mean you have to share it, right? And, and, and for some reason, I think it's in large part because of this technology and because of this information, everybody feels like they've got to share their opinion and they're an expert about this and that. Now, if you're a leader of your organization or you're a, you're a, you know, a manager of some type, you're over people, and you, you get the, the frustration of, the, of the, you know, the, the Monday morning quarterback syndrome of, of everybody sharing their opinion and becoming an expert, and you've got confidential information, and you make decisions based upon all of that information, and, and, and the experts and their opinions, they don't have all that information, right? And so you make these decisions, and then they criticize and become the critic, and it's very frustrating. It, it, it makes pastoring an interesting journey. There's a lot of opinions, a lot, of, a lot of people that feel like they're experts. And so what I feel like we become when we you know, enter this world of criticism is, is that we, in fact, become a critic. And when we become a critic, we stop be, being a leader. We stop being a student. Anytime you're a critic, you're not a student. And if we're not a student, then we're not learning, we're not growing. And so, so my, my, I want us to begin to think through the lens of this, this expert type, here's what you should do, and, and here's how to. And what, what I feel like is important in the church is less opinions and more role models. 
more role models that are showing what the scripture teaches and showing how to live the scriptures. And so as I was reading um, this week, I, I came across 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it really, it really impacted me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and following say this. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, a very young church. They didn't, you know, <clears throat> new believers. And he says, I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. In other words, he, he's saying, look, I'm not writing this stuff so that you would feel bad about yourself and feel ashamed of this. There's a bigger, there, there's a bigger point here. He says, but I'm writing to you to admonish you as my beloved children. In other, ways, in other words, admonish, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, I'm treating you like my, my, my children as you're young in your faith, and I want you to get this, I want to, I want to challenge you. There were, some, there were some people in the church that, that were, were running amok, and they were in sin, and he was telling them how to deal with it, and he's like, look, I'm doing this to encourage you and challenge you. Verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, the word countless there literally means 10,000, so the idea is, oh, you've got millions of people, you've got thousands of people here. That, that want to be your guide. I want to tell you how to live. I want to tell you what to do, right? But he says this, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. In other words, he became their spiritual father. Why? Because he taught them the scripture. He taught them what God's word says. He showed them what the Spirit of God wanted them to do and how to live and, and how to be about the mission of God and, and how to make disciples. And, and so he's like, look, I'm your spiritual father here. I'm teaching, I'm showing. I want you to imitate me. You've got thousands of people and experts that are out there. They're gonna tell you this and tell you that. But at the end of the day, he was like, I want you to imitate me. And so, so I feel like in the church, we need more role models, more spiritual fathers teaching young men what it looks like to be a man of God, what it looks like to, to love their wife, what it looks like to raise their family, what it, what it looks like to handle conflict, what it looks like as the church, as the bride of Christ, to, to love each other and to make disciples and to make a difference. And so we need more role models, men who are leaders, who have some emotional intelligence and can handle their emotions and, and can handle their finances and not just throwing money at the next toy to, to rust and, and uh, throw away in a couple of years. But somebody focused and somebody, you know, I, this is what the church needs. More spiritual fathers, role models. And so when we come to this text this morning, we're going we're gonna to see that um, Jesus gives us two bad role models and then he shows us a good role model. And it was a, the Samaritan. And you're familiar with the story. But we've got to realize when we, when we look at all of this, all of the opinions, all the experts, all the things people are saying, at the end of the day, there's 6.8 billion people in the world. About 3 billion people don't know Jesus. We serve a king. He has a mission. And we're called to serve that mission. So we don't have time for the critic. We don't have time to fight. There is so much work in front of us to do. 
And I hope you're excited about what God is doing here. I hope you're excited to hear all the partnerships and all the ways in which we're loving and serving this community and this world and all the exciting things that are taking place because I'm excited to, to, to see people get excited about the gospel and excited about the mission of God and, and excited to, to rally around this mission, to rally around what, what Jesus is calling us to do and, and how he's calling us to do it. And so I get weary, you know, when I watch the news and, and there's so much criticism and so many so-called experts and, and I get energized by people who want to stand up for the gospel. And I get excited about people that want to change the world, that want to make a difference. And, and I want us to realize that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. There is no other hope apart from him. 26,000 children will die this year from preventable diseases. We can't save them all, but you could play your part. As we seek God, as we follow God, Jesus shows us who we should and must imitate. And so let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 25. Very familiar story. I love this story. Here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So, um, AKA Mr. Smarty Pants, right? He's gonna, he's gonna trick Jesus, right? Anybody that ever thinks they're gonna try to trick Jesus, it's a bad mistake, all right? So here, here's what happens. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, by the way. How are you gonna, how, how could we possibly inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now the lawyer couldn't leave it alone. So he, desiring to justify himself, desiring to like make himself look good and to, to you know, give himself a platform here, he's the expert, right? I'm the expert of the law and I'm gonna make myself look good here. And he said, and who is my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus replies with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So on a trip, he is robbed, he's beaten, he's beat up, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Sees the man beat up, sees the man half dead, and instead of helping, goes on the other side of the road and passes him by. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What a great story. What a great story. Jesus shows us the model for how you and I should live our life. And, and so I wanna share three important realities as it relates to the mission of God. How, how we as a church, as partners, are, are, are we truly going to be able to accomplish this mission together? And based on this story, there are several principles I want to point out three. And the first one is this. 
you and I have to recognize suffering and oppression around us because it is all around us. We've got to recognize suffering around us. There's poverty all around us. There's drug abuse all around us. Marriages are ending all around us. And the answers to every one of these issues is Jesus. It's not a government solution. It's, it, it's not an educational problem. The problem is Jesus. Because he didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people come alive. Big difference there. And since we are dead in our trespasses, we're dead in our sin, we will live a dead life until we receive Christ into our life. And so when that moment happens and the Spirit of God comes into our life, now I have the power to take my dead marriage and make it come alive. Jesus gives me the power to take my dead financial situation and make it come alive. He allows other dead relationships to come alive through his power, through his strength, working in me. We've got to see the oppression, the suffering around us because it is real. Uh, Jesus was often criticized because he would spend time with sinners and tax collectors. And in Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees actually were, were asking the disciples, hey, why does, why does your rabbi hang out with all of those sinners, with, with all of those tax collectors? And, and Jesus overhears them. And so he says in Matthew 9, 12, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' point in his answer to, hey, why are you hanging out with all these sinners, with all these oppressed people, with all the sin going on? Why are you hanging out with them? And Jesus says, it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so his whole attitude was identifying oppression. His whole mentality was understanding the suffering, the spiritual suffering around him. And as he did, he engaged, he, he equipped, he taught, he loved. One of these tax collectors, one of these sinners was a guy named Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? He was the, the wee little man. And um, he was a tax collector. He was a manipulator. Um, he manipulated people to make a lot of money, so he profited off of his lies and his manipulation, and hence, that's why people couldn't stand him. They hated him. And um, G uh, Jesus comes to Jericho, and as he comes in, the crowds begin to flock to him, and as he enters the city, this shorter man couldn't see, and so what did he do? He climbed, oh, I thought you were going to sing it. He climbed up into a sycamore tree, right? Now, the sycamore tree in Israel is different than our sycamore trees here in the States. Like in the States, it's a maple species, and, and, and in Israel, it's, it's different. It has like this fig-like fruit, and, and uh, they're, they're everywhere. And, and so um, he climbs up this sycamore. Now, the Hebrew word for sycamore is shikma. And what's interesting about this word is that it actually means rehabilitation. Because this, the sycamore tree in Israel has this unique ability when branches are cut or or um, uh, broken off in some way, the tree has, a, has this ability to rehabilitate itself and grow the limb back. And so it's called the, the tree of rehabilitation. And isn't it interesting that Zacchaeus climbed up the tree of rehabilitation? I think the reality is that he needed rehab. Zacchaeus was a manipulator. He was a sinner. And he needed rehab. He didn't need drug rehab. He needed greed rehab. Because he served the almighty dollar. 
he thought the answer to his problems was more money. And so he was willing to cheat and to steal to make that a reality in his life. He, in fact, um, spent the afternoon with Jesus. He came down from the tree and Jesus said, I'm coming over to your house today. And, and so they ate together and they hung out together. And that day Jesus saved him and his life was radically transformed. And by the end of the meeting, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half of all of my possessions to the poor. Half of everything that I have, I'm going to give to the poor. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, you should become generous. Jesus didn't say, hey, you should do this. No, he just got rehabilitated that day. His heart went through rehab by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so the, the, the answer to a greedy heart is to become generous. And so his actions proved and showed that he truly was repentant of his sins. He changed his attitude. He changed his thoughts. He changed how he treated and acted. And, and a demonstration of that repentance was he gave half of everything that he had. And then he also said that if I've defrauded anyone of money, I'm going to pay them back times four, four times what I owe them. So if I owe them $2, I'm going to give them $8. Man, you guys are smart. $8. And so Jesus hung out with guys like this. You see, he could have passed by Zacchaeus in that tree. He could have walked on by, but he recognized suffering. Now, suffering isn't always poverty, even though it is. Suffering isn't always homelessness. Suffering isn't always visible, but suffering, no doubt, is taking place in the coworkers and the family members in your life who are far from Jesus. Zacchaeus was suffering from a lie the enemy had told him, no doubt, that success and money was going to bring him happiness. He was suffering from the lies of the enemy, thinking that he was going to feel better about himself if he was important, if he had status. But he didn't. And it wasn't until he went through rehab. Now, the reality is, a lot of people in this room need to go through rehab. Our heart needs to be rehabbed. We need to overcome greed. We need to become generous. Maybe it's something else that you're dealing with. But we need to climb up in that tree of rehabilitation, let the Holy Spirit of God do work in our heart. As we think through the lens of the mission of our church and the mission of, of, of what we're doing today, collecting an offering that goes towards the mission, then, then the, the, the obvious connection is that being generous shows that our heart has overcome greed. And we have a choice to pass by those who are suffering, those who are oppressed just like those two men, the priest, the Levi, they just walked on by and we miss God's mission. We miss the opportunity to serve God. We miss the opportunity to see lives transformed around us. We miss the opportunity to be a part of a church that sees transformation taking place. And so whether, you know, whether it's you one-on-one -on -one that sees this transformation or you're giving and you're a part of this church and you're sitting there and then we're showing and telling you the stories of people who are being transformed, like we miss that if we don't engage in the mission of God. And so this Samaritan, he moved from being sympathetic to actually caring because he did something. You see, it's one thing to be sympathetic towards somebody and, and to feel sorry for someone. But in this case, he actually did something. He got off his donkey and he did something. You see, in the, in the story, he, he put the man on 
his animal and he took him to town to take care of him. So essentially, I guess what I'm saying is you got to get off your donkey and do something. And I wish I could use the King James translation. It would be so much better. I'm too conservative for that. One day I, was, I went to a fast food place not long ago and, and I saw two homeless people sitting outside under a tree and, and um, I walked in and I felt sympathetic, you know. I had sympathy. I was, ah, I, felt, I feel bad, you know. I, 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 I just, my heart was going out to them, you know. And I stood in line there and I thought about it and I just felt God say, you know, don't give them money, just buy, buy them some food. So, so I bought three meals and I went outside and I gave them the food and I just say, hey guys, I uh, hope you're having a good day. I hope this meal helps you out. Um, just remember God loves you, he's got a plan for your life and I hope your journey takes you to a church one day where you can be surrounded by God's people and uh, we chatted a little bit and then that was basically it and I went on my way and I was like, okay, went in sympathetic, came out with compassion. Why? I could see the compassion because I was doing something and that, that's what the actual word means. It means that you're willing to walk alongside someone it means that you're willing to come alongside of somebody in their suffering and do something and help them, encourage them in some way. And that's what it means for, for us to, to make noise. It means that we're, we're not just sympathetic, because that, I mean, we're sympathetic all the time, but that doesn't lead us to action. What, what, what we're looking for is compassion. What we're looking for is to make a difference, and so we've gotta, we've gotta be generous with our time. We've gotta be generous with our money. We've gotta be generous with our talents. The Samaritan could have walked on by like the other two. He was on a journey. He had a mission of doing whatever he was doing. He had to take the kids to practice. He had to go to work. He had to do this. He had to do that. And yet he recognized the suffering and he was willing to be generous with his schedule. He was willing to be generous financially because he took care of the man. He put up this money to, to, for the innkeeper to take care of him. And, and he said, when I come back, whatever expenses you had, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that too. So financially, I mean, he, he was, the, he was the, the, the money behind the mission there that allowed the innkeeper to take part in the work. And so, so it is important that, that, that we're generous financially. It is important that we're generous with our time. We see here that the, the Samaritan, he poured oil and he poured wine on the wounds. Now, we might look at that, and some of you are in the the health industry, and you're like, eh, I guess that's okay, but he could have used some antibiotics, probably need to be stitched up, you know, some bandages, you know, change those bandages, and you've got the whole thing, but, but here's what I love. At this time, you know, oil and water is, was the remedy. That's like all they had te technologically to, to fix things like this, and so what the Samaritan did was, was do what he was equipped to do. He did what he knew to do. And I love that because I hear so often people say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible or I don't, I don't have this or I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would say it. And it's like, look, you gotta trust God in this and realize you do what you know to do in that moment. You do what, what God has already equipped you to do and you leave the rest up to him because it doesn't depend upon how well or, or, or bad you do. That's the benefit of being like in my seat, in, in, in my position. Like if I worried about how good I did on Sunday, I would never get up here, never. But I leave it, I've gotta leave it up to him. I've gotta do my part in preparation and study and my walk and then I have to leave it up to him because I'm never going to, 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 to measure up to him. And the same is true for you. You do and go what you know to do and how God has equipped you to do it. 
And so we've got to start being helpful and not just sorry for people. This means here at FC that in series like this, you learn about all the partnerships. You learn about the ways in which you can serve. At FC, it means that we've got a great system for you to plug into. It's called Base Camp, and then it's called Camp 2, where you can identify how God has designed you, your gifts and what you're passionate about. And so we, we help you connect to ministries and organizations to be able to use those gifts. And man, for our size church, the number of ways that you can serve and, and, and the various ways that you can serve, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm blown away at, at, at the, the, the amount of ministry that can take place and, and how you can serve. And, and that's important because in John 20, chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We celebrate Christmas in a couple of weeks. And what we're essentially celebrating is the fact that God sent Jesus on a mission trip for you and for me. And so the model is set before us. We're, we're not saved to sit and soak. We're saved to be sent, to make a difference, to get off our donkeys and do stuff for the Lord, to do something that's gonna impact and make a difference. And, and Jesus models to us what that looks like. And in this story, he transforms the definition of a neighbor. Because in our minds, a neighbor is the guy that lives next door to us, that annoys us. You know, he mows the grass at the weirdest hours and stays up late and makes noise when your kids are trying to go to sleep, right? That's our neighbor. But he says, no, no, no. In this story, he shows us that a neighbor is someone who is willing to make some noise in somebody's life, somebody who is willing to make a difference, somebody who's willing to go and do what God has called them to do. And so that might be in your neighborhood, that might be in your city, and that might be on the other side of the planet for the gospel and the glory of God. Our neighbor is anyone around us who has a need. And we identify that suffering, and then God calls us to serve them. Not every need is a ministry. Not every need is something that you're going to be able to solve. But at the same time, we have to identify what God is calling us to. And we have to be a part of something that he is doing in our lives. He makes it clear that loving our neighbor means engaging with people who need our help. This man was robbed. He was beat up, left for dead. And every day you go to work, you work with people who've been robbed. Satan is robbing them of true joy. Satan is robbing them of true success. He's robbing them of a good marriage. They're believing a lie. You have the truth. It's time for us to make a difference. It's time for you to be a person and, and, and for us to be a people of blessing that we would share the words of encouragement and love from, from God's word, that we would constantly be not the critic at work and join all the other experts, but become the student. Here's what I'm learning. Here, here's what God is doing in my life. Here's how I would encourage you through God's word. And that's a totally different outlook on life. There are too many critics in your organization. I guarantee it. <laughs> I guarantee it. And for us as believers, we're supposed to be a people of blessing, not a people of curse, but we bring curse and, and we bring words that curse and, 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 and condemn those. And it's like, that's not what God's called us to do. We've got to recognize suffering around us. Secondly, we've got to connect with like-minded partners. We've got to connect with other people who are like-minded so that we can accomplish the mission of God. 
Here this, in this story, the Samaritan, he partners with the innkeeper. Now the innkeeper had a choice. He could have said, you know what? Too busy, man. No space in the inn. You know, no room in the inn, right? Can't, can't come in. I, I can't deal with this. But he doesn't. He opens up a room and he ministers to the guy while the Samaritan leaves. He gives him the money. He takes care of him. He says, whatever you do this week as you care for him, I'm going to come back and pay you. You take care of him. And, and that's what it takes to be effective in ministry. That's what it takes for, for us to accomplish what God wants us to do. That day that I fed that, that, that homeless couple, that was great. But that only helped them for you know, the next two or three hours. They got hungry again. So for me, I've got to think bigger and, and larger and how can I partner with organizations and how can I, how can I lead a church that, that partners with people who are making a difference so that I don't, I'm not just feeding somebody for a day, but I'm teaching them how to get out of poverty, how to overcome addiction, how to incorporate themselves back into society. And it's a bigger conversation. Some of you are great at that. You see, you can serve and make a difference in a lot of ways. You can give money. You can, you can do ministry. You can actually serve. You can be somebody, you know, you're, if you're a leader that, that organizes things like this, maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person, but, but that's just as compassionate as the one who feeds the homeless, that you're organizing and that you're creating a system so that more people can get involved to go and serve and love. Maybe that's how God has gifted you and designed you to make that more effective. And so, so we've got to see the ways in which God is calling us to partner together because we can do so much more together than we ever could on our own. And that's why we give today. That's why I encourage you to give something today because the, the money behind the mission here allows us to expand our reach. And we have plans to give here and plans to give there, but if we don't have the money and the resources, then we just, we're just not able to do it. No matter how lofty our goals or how lofty, you know, our hopes and dreams are, if the resources aren't there, we just can't do it. So the hero of the story here, the Samaritan, couldn't do it by himself. He had to partner. And so today we want to partner together. Some of you haven't partnered with us. We want to encourage you to do that. Be, be like-minded. Rally around the mission. Go to base camp and, and begin to serve. Begin to be a part of this church and, and allow God to use you in an incredible way. The last point that I think that we, we gain from this is that Jesus kind of sums up the whole story. This is, remember, a parable is a story that Jesus tells that has a point. And his point is, to the, is this, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. In other words, here's the model, right? Here's the model. I'm, I'm teaching you and I'm showing you and so the role model, as a spiritual father, like, here's what it looks like. Let me teach you. Let me show you. Now you go and do likewise. You go and make some noise. You go and make a difference. You go and serve. You go and give. Don't miss out on the opportunity that God has given to you. Don't miss out on the blessing that God wants to give to you. Because as we serve him, as we engage him in his mission, he blesses us and we find true freedom. We, we, we find true life. God is redeeming everything that's damaged by sin in the world. And make no mistake about it, sin has damaged and ruined everything. Every problem you have today is because of sin, no doubt. 
And what we have to realize is this devastating effect of sin and that it, it, it has destroyed our relationship with God. But it also destroys our relationship with our spouse and with our kids. It destroys everything in our life if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And He is reversing this curse. Salvation restores that relationship with God. And it brings our focus onto the kingdom of God because we spend so much time building our little kingdom, we forget about God's kingdom. Like one of the biggest like, like struggles that we have as a culture and as a church, and this isn't just our church, it's just kind of like churches in America, is that we've believed in a lie that, that says that there has to be certain mile markers along our life for us to be happy or, or for us to feel a sense of accomplishment. You know what I mean? It's like we feel like at some age we need to have that house that we've always envisioned. And if we don't have that, then we're, you know, we're lagging behind. We need to have X amount of dollars in the bank account for us to feel accomplished. Our kids have to be successful at everything for us to be successful and happy. And that's just not the case. What it does is it, it makes us jump on this, this spinning wheel, this, this rat race we call it. And as we run on this wheel, we're running here, running there, gunning here, making this happen, running our kids everywhere because they, you know, they have to be successful at everything. We have to make this and do that so that we, we feel good about ourselves. And at the end of the day, we've spent so much time on that stuff that there's no time for the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. Just be busy, just run. Stay focused on other things. And never think about what God wants you to do. Well, God's strategy to change the world is the church. You are hopefully a part of this church to make a difference, to make an impact we partner together. And as we give and as we go and do likewise, we become a people of blessing, blessing our community, blessing organizations, blessing people that we encounter. So that we're not the expert and, and, and the critic, but we are the person of blessing. Nobody is going to like run away or reject somebody that wants to bring blessing. But they'll reject you and they'll avoid you if you're a person of curse, if you're a person that brings negativity, criticism, go avoid that for sure. I think what Jesus tells us to do here, the very beginning of, of this passage, the question is how do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus affirms the statement to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and, and the second greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. We can't get away from that in the scripture. Are we going and doing likewise? Are we a part of something bigger than ourselves? Well, if you're a part of Fiddles Church, I can affirm that you in fact are. And today, the challenge is obvious. The challenge is to be generous. The challenge is to give. The challenge is to go and do likewise and so we, we make some noise and, and we realize that what we're about to give allows that noise to reverberate around the city. And so I'm asking you to give. I've asked the band to come and sing a song that um, really rallies around this, the idea that, 
that I want to close with and, and pray for, and that is what we give and what, what we do as a church is multiplied. You know, what we're about to give is multiplied and that there are more disciples multiplied here because when more disciples are made, that means more ministry takes place. That means the gospel is advancing. And so I'm going to pray our ushers can go ahead and get in their positions. And, and then, uh, so what we're about to give to right now goes directly to our Christmas offering, all the things that we've talked about over the last six weeks. As they prepare and as you prepare, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we ask that you multiply what we are about to give. I pray, God, that this, in fact, is going to be the largest Christmas offering we've ever had. I pray, God, that we would be able to bless more people as a result of this. I pray, Lord, that more disciples would be multiplied. I pray, God, that more ministry opportunities would be multiplied because just, there's just never enough ministry. There's never enough salvations, baptisms. Like, this is what we're here to do. This is what, this is what you've called us to do, what you want us to be about. And so help us to follow the model of the Good Samaritan to go and do likewise, to see suffering, to make partners, to join together and make some noise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.